we go first to our message for the day, a message from God's Word that He has for us to consider. Um, And I pray this message in particular will uh, direct our minds throughout the rest of our worship as we continue to pray and as we sing our songs and as we focus on uh, what Jesus has done for us, the great and wonderful things that he has done for us. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be considering uh, Psalm 107. Psalm 107, I was going to look at it once, and hopefully you've already keyed in on the key factor for why we're going here, and it's because what we'd looked at just a few weeks ago, um, on December the 26th, we look at we looked at the Magnificat when Mary spoke those wonderful words uh, of praise to God, exalting him for his steadfast love. And one of the things that she said there was, he has filled the hungry with good things. And she was thinking of Psalm 107. This is one of the inspiring things to Mary. One of the things that gave her such a great and wonderful life and attitude. And so we're going to Psalm 107 now, having spent a couple of weeks in Psalm 103. Now we're going to spend several weeks in Psalm 107. Today's lesson is entitled, Don't Faint, Be Filled. Don't Faint, Be Filled. We have all kinds of things in this life around us that we try, we just consume everything we can. We consume information, we consume entertainment, we consume, we consume, we consume. But the question is, does it fill us up? Or does it leave us feeling empty? Does it leave us ready in our lives spiritually to faint? And Psalm 107 is going to be the encouragement to us is to seek after God. If we seek after him, he will fill us with good things. So don't faint, be filled. In Psalm 107, the scripture was just read a moment ago, verses 1 through 9, and we're going to consider these words. And I want to key in on the loyal love that is mentioned here, the steadfast love. Um, The New American Standard calls it loving kindness, but I love some of the other translations that give this permanent faithfulness to it. Psalm 107 verse 1 says, Give thanks to Yahweh in the uh, Lexham English Bible. Give thanks to Yahweh. He has a name. The Lord is his name. Yahweh is his name, indicating he is the great I am. He is the one who is forever, always has, always will be. The one who appeared at the bush to Moses and said, I am who I am. Give thanks to him. Give thanks to Yahweh for he is good. For his loyal love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. Just consider that. Think about that. God's greatness, his steadfast love, him being faithful to us, even when we're not faithful to him, his faithfulness, that's the kind of love that he demands. And when we gather and, and particularly a little bit later here, and we're thinking about this table, we're reminded of Jesus having given up his life on the cross for us. Even though we 
were rebellious, even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's faithfulness. That is loyal love. That is how steadfast God is. His goodness and steadfast love demands our praise. That's embedded in it. It demands our praise. If people would know what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, then the natural response should be to give thanks to the Lord. For He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His loyal love is forever. Psalm 107, verse 1. I think Mary was inspired by that. I think Mary's life was lived with an acknowledgement that she understood that. She knew that. She knew the love of God. And she didn't even know Jesus. Jesus present within her physically, but she didn't know him like we do. We know him fully now. He abides in us. We understand the love of God to the greatest extent. God did wonderful things for the nation of Israel to save them. That's what this psalm is about. But he never did anything for them like sending his own son to die on the cross to save us. We know his love even better than Mary, even better than the psalmist who penned these words. So if this is true for the psalmist, if it was true for Mary, it ought to be exponentially more true for us. Let us give thanks to Yahweh for he is good, his loyal love endures forever his goodness demands our praise i pray today that we're able to praise him all right now have it, have your bibles open verse number two it says let the redeemed of the lord say so whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary let me ask you have you been redeemed by the lord Have you been redeemed by the Lord? Listen to that verse again. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's kind of like, well, it's a little strange wording. Say what? Say so. Well, we've been redeemed. It reminds me of that song that that I sang when I was a kid. I've been redeemed. And it would be an echo. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been redeemed. By the blood of the Lamb. What a wonderful thought. I've been saved. I've been bought back. There's been a price paid for me. Um, Somebody has come and rescued me. All embedded in this thought of being redeemed of the Lord. Have you been redeemed? Have you been redeemed? Who have you told? If you've been redeemed, if you finally cut, you you say, yeah, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen, amen. Well, who have you told? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We should be singing out. We should be going everywhere we go. It should be kind of like singing that song. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That should be on our lips. That thought should be on our thoughts, in our hearts all of the time. That should be what leads us through the day. 
That last part of that verse mentions the adversary. We've been redeemed from the hand of the adversary. Well, who have you been? If you have been redeemed, who have you been redeemed from? Who is the adversary? Oh, and there is an adversary. The devil, that means adversary. He is the one who seeks us. He is the one who wants to be our master. And we have been saved from his hand by the the blood of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Praise be to him. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. In verse number three, and gathered them from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. He has gathered them from the greatest extents of the earth. Now, to me, I listen to that, and I, you know, I think about the nation of Israel. You know, this was a psalm written to a particular people, to the people of God. They were all pretty much together. Usually, sometimes they'd get scattered a little bit, and he'd redeem them back. Uh, but for the most part, they were always together. And it makes me wonder, when I read that, I just, it's, my thought goes to Jesus Verse number two, when I read it, my thought goes to Jesus redeeming me from the hand of the adversary. And in verse number three, it says, and gathered them from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Did Jesus fulfill this verse? Is this verse really pointing more to Jesus, even more so than it was to their immediate context when it was written by whomever it might have been who wrote Psalm 107? Listen, in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, there is the, this uh, instance where a centurion, a Roman centurion, comes to Jesus. And he is a man of great faith, even though he's a Gentile. He's a heathen. And he knows Jesus. And he's the one who, who says, you know, you, I need, my servant needs healed. Um, and he tells, and Jesus is going to say, all right, I'll go with you. And he says, no, just say the word and he'll be healed. I know you can do it. Verse number 10. Now, when Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those who were following him. And this would, he would have been turning to the Jewish people who were following him. Truly, I say to you, I have found such great faith with no one in Israel. But I say to you that many will come from east and west and be seated at the banquet with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out in the outer darkness in that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go. As you have believed, it will be done for you. And the slave was healed that very hour. So here is... The, the thought of Jesus saying, man, I've got, a, I've got a guy who believes in me, who understands who I am, who knows my, the authority that I have and where that authority comes from. It's from heaven. And I tell you what, I'm going to bring in a lot more people like that. And he was thinking about you and I. We're the Gentiles that have been brought into the banquet feast. And he brought us in from east and from west. What a wonderful, beautiful thought. We have been brought into the kingdom of heaven. 
Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. How wonderful, how steadfast the love of God. What a joy, what a, what a great treasure we have in what Christ has done for us. So on to verses 4 and 5. We'll take these verses together. He gets into a particular instance here now, as he's going to do in a couple of more instances. He gives these examples of times that the, the people needed help, they cry out to God, and then God delivers them. And that's what we're going to look at at each one of these instances. And the first one is here in verses 4 through 9. The first instance of somebody who needs delivered. And the love of God comes along and saves them. So verses 4 and 5. They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. And they cried, oh, I've got to pause. And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. So we'll pause there. Verses 4 and 5 in particular. Listen to this. The people of Israel, they were redeemed. And I think these verses kind of take us back to this time that the Psalms often go back to. It's the time when Israel was redeemed from the hand of Pharaoh. They were slaves to Pharaoh. And he was a horrible taskmaster. He was a terrible, terrible, enslaved them, treated them terribly. And God brought them out. And they now had a new master. The great and powerful creator who is loving and kind. Yahweh. He was brought out. They brought, he brought them out of the land of Egypt to serve him. Well, then they wandered in the desert for these 40 years before they entered the promised land. And that's the picture here, the wandering in the desert for 40 years. They wandered in the wilderness region, in the desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. You know, and you get this picture in your mind that, that hey, they were out there Death was looming around them all the time. We're not talking a wilderness region where they could put apples off a tree. Where they could walk a, a quarter of a mile to the nearest stream. You know, it, when we think wilderness here in the Midwest, we think of a, of a woods. And there's always something to find to eat there. Well, their wilderness region was desert. No life. No water. Always struggling to survive. Well, God provided for them back then, didn't he? But they didn't find their, in those 40 years, they didn't find their way to the inhabited city where there would be a source of water, where there would be a source of food. They were wandering. No inhabited city. They were hungry, verse number 5, and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. And even in that 40 years of wandering, even though God was supplying what they needed with manna, with quail, gave them the water they needed, probably just enough to get by. Every day, maybe they wondered, am I going to have enough today? Well, if they focused on God, then yes, they would. But can you imagine being in that kind of situation? Physically. 
every day, only having enough food for that one day. Not knowing, if you kind of take God out of your mind and out of your life, which I'm sure they did, not knowing if tomorrow you're going to have enough. Well, spiritually, even though here in the land of plenty, we've never had uh, very few of us have experienced anything close to hunger and thirst like they experienced, yet spiritually, we have experienced wandering in a desert. Have you ever felt like you were wandering in a desert? Have you ever been hungry and thirsty in your soul and your soul was just fainting within you? You despaired of life. You felt like you couldn't make it one more day. Life was too much. Life was too hard. Life is too empty. There is nothing there. I can't sustain my soul. And we go through times like that. Not everybody to the same extremes. But in Psalm 63, I know that the writer of of this psalm, I think, experienced something like that. Probably from some adversary or difficult time in life physically. But I think we can understand this spiritually that The psalmist says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Going through life and having... It's kind of like being in the city. And when you're, you feel alone and you're in the midst of a city, that's the, one of the worst aloneness feelings you can feel. When you've got nobody but surrounded by people, that's a terrible feeling. I see it over and over with people that I come into contact with. It's a terrible feeling. And when we're in this world and we're surrounded by good things, luxuries, when we're surrounded by all kinds of amenities, when everybody's got a TV and a phone, when everybody has running water in their home and a a warm bed with a roof over your head, and yet your soul isn't filled, that's a terrible feeling. The flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We can be surrounded by all kinds of good things, but yet our soul faints because it isn't being filled up by those good things. We have to seek God. He's the only one who can fill those things. Let our soul be like the psalmist and search for him. So let's think a little bit more about this idea. How are we wandering in a desert? Richest nation on earth. But are all of us wandering in a desert? How might that be so? Well, one thing is 
Google, I, I think, is a good impression of us with this little image of their two little googly eyes. We're all searching for something. You want to... You need some information, you search for it on Google. And everywhere you look, people are searching for something. You're searching for information, you go to Google. You search for entertainment, you can find entertainment anywhere, and sometimes it's just on a, on a screen right in front of us. Pick up a book, entertain yourself, go downtown, entertain yourself. It doesn't, you, you research and search and search for happiness and for fulfillment and all kinds of things. And those things are all around us. So just think about what you're searching for, what you're reaching for, what you're longing for. When you wake up in the morning, that alarm clock goes off. What's the first thing that you start to go to? What do you reach for? Do you reach for your phone to pick it up? Check out what the weather is. I got to be ready for the day. And uh, you, you want to know what to wear. You, you start thinking about work. You start thinking about school. And I hear it moving, moving, moving. I got to get through this day. What are you searching for? You go to a computer. Um, somebody mentioned to me that, you, you know, first thing, get up in the morning, check stocks, see how the portfolio is going to do. Am I going to be able to retire? What do, what's the first thing that our minds go to? What do we search for? What do we reach for? What's on our mind? And then uh, you go through the, the, the rat race of the day, and you go through uh, work, and you go through school, and you come home. What is it you do when you get home? Look for the bed, ready to sleep? Is that what I heard? <laughs> Tired? Weary? I just need some rest. You go in, kick the feet up. That's what I think of uh, the, uh, the, the, the traditional image of the man coming home from a, a hard day at the, at the shop or the office and I just need some downtime and, and put the, give me something to drink and let me put my feet up and watch TV for a couple hours. Is that what, is that what you're searching for? Is that what you need in that time? Because... Where's going to be the fulfillment and all these things? Because then by the time we're ready for bed, what are we thinking about now? What is it? When, when, and here's what I find interesting is a lot of times when we finally reach that place and get our head on the bed, if we've been going through this day, we're often wondering, okay, well, what, what did this day do for me? What did I accomplish? What does it all mean? What's my life all about? Some of those big questions are questions we start thinking of, at least for me it was when I was very young, 7th and 8th grade, what's it all about? Why am I even here? And did my day fill me with anything I was searching for, for contentment and peace and fulfillment and all kinds of things, and trying to make other people happy and trying to have some fun or whatever it was, but at the end of the day... If I hadn't been living my life to please God, I knew something was wrong. There was no fulfillment. I was wandering around in a desert. And no matter how old we are, and we tend to as we get older, instead of thinking that big question when we get to bed, why am I here, what's life all about, we just say, all right, got to go through the routine tomorrow, and we just get used to it. 
But going through the routine and just living life is not going to get us where we need to be. And we're never going to be like Mary and say, my soul doth magnify the Lord. She was happy. He had filled her life with good things because she sought after him. And from morning to noon to night, the question comes, are you seeking after him? If you're not seeking deliberately and intentionally and with a lot of energy after the Lord God who created you, you are just simply wandering around in a desert and your soul is going to faint within you. And it is. It's not going to. It is. It's just going to it's going to get worse and worse. Don't go through life and end up on your deathbed. If you have such a wonderful opportunity to to be able to think before you die, because not everybody gets to that point, death can come suddenly and unsuspectedly um, no matter what age you are. But don't, if you're so fortunate to get to the end of your life when you should, at the end of a long life, be able to think, what has my life been all about? If you're fortunate enough to get there, don't let that thought be, what have I done? What has my life been all about? Why was I even here? Will anybody even care that I lived my life? Have I made any difference? Don't get to that point now, and I don't care... Excuse me, don't get to that point, but rather right now, seek after God and live for him. Start making it a routine that the first thing in the morning you are going to focus on God. You're going to find a way to make a day, make this day the day that you are bringing glory and honor to him. This is the day that throughout the day I will give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever and I am one of the redeemed of the Lord and I will say so. I'm going to make a difference in this life. I'm going to live for God. So how are we wandering in the desert? The richer we are, the easier it is to wander in a desert with no satisfaction, fulfillment. The distractions are all around us, but we must focus on God. Verse 6 says to these people who were out in the, the physically in the wilderness, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. The Lord can deliver you. Their distresses were physical distresses. Am I going to have anything to eat? Am I going to have anything to drink tomorrow? That's stress, but we have stress, don't we? Oh my goodness, we have stress. We stress over all the stuff we have. You know, riches don't eliminate stresses. They bring it on even more, I think. Stresses that ought not be there. But if we would just focus on Christ and call out to him and give him our lives, that's the idea of, you know, hey, God, I'm I'm totally helpless. I need you. That's the idea of calling upon the name of the Lord. Calling upon him, I need you, and I know you're going to provide for me, so I praise you. 
It's asking for help, crying out to him in that way, and then crying out to him with praise, as it indicates in verse 1. The Lord can deliver you. He's the only one. You're wandering in a desert. Your heart faints within you. Your soul is fainting and weary and dying and shriveling up. Call upon the Lord. He's faithful. He will deliver you. So cry out to him. Verse 7. And he led them also by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. He'll lead you. One of the most beautiful psalms, Psalm 23. He leads me. And I think even in the picture of that psalm, he leads me by the quiet water. I have to say the whole thing or I can mess it up now. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me by the still waters. He, he, I'm not saying it right. <laughs> Too many translations in my head, I think, with that one. He takes me and, and leads me to the path of righteousness. He leads me even in the darkness. He takes me through that. You know, it's just a beautiful picture. The Lord leads. And even as followers of Christ, our name is this. Disciple. Follower. He leads me. I follow. It's that simple. So don't faint, but be filled. And when he leads you, you're going to go in this straight way to an inhabited city. And I picture an inhabited city. It's a place with water. It's a place with food. It's a place where you can get everything you need to survive. Spiritually speaking, then, it's a place where we can live and have life and be filled. It's a place where there is joy, where there are others that we can have fellowship with. That's the inhabited city. I consider it today, it's the kingdom of God. And we are members of that kingdom where God rules and reigns in our lives. And that puts us together as as some of God's vessels. We are his servants, serving him and loving him. And he takes care of us. Verse 8. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, steadfast love, and for his wonders to the sons of men. Why should the redeemed give thanks? Those who are now led in the straight paths, who have been delivered, those who are redeemed, let them give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love. Love. He's good to us. He loves us. So give thanks. Verse uh, 8 at the end there it says, And for his wonders to the sons of men. And we all here today are very aware of the greatest wonder that God has ever performed. Let us give thanks to him. Verse number 9. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul. And the hungry soul 
He is filled with what is good. The people all around us hunger and thirst. Their souls faint within them. Some of us here, perhaps, can identify with that. And Jesus is the one who can satisfy your longing, satisfy that hunger. Don't faint. Be filled. Let us help all those around us who are fainting and need filled. Let the Son of God satisfy your thirsty soul. John chapter 7 verses 37 and 38. It's one of the, I think this is one of the greatest places in scripture where Jesus has arrived at the great feast. The last day. Now in verse 37, John 7 37 says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast. And Jesus had started out being quiet at this seven day or this week long feast. He started out being quiet and then he kind of started teaching in the temple courts as you look through John 7. And then we get to this point where it's the last great day of the feast and Jesus comes to the temple. And I imagine him on the steps of the temple with all the people around him on the last The great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his inmost being will flow rivers of living water. Let Jesus satisfy your thirsty soul. Let Jesus Christ fill your hungry soul with good things. My plea is for everybody here who believes in Christ, you've given your life to Christ, that you would truly step into this life that He's given us and live the blessed, happy, full life. All those words to me are, are wrapped up in that word we've used a lot of late, shalom. Shalom is truly seen in Mary, and we need to experience that joy and happiness and complete being satisfied in your life, knowing that you are right with him and that he is in you. We see that in Mary, I think, in Luke 1, 45 through 53, and I hope if you get a chance, you'll go back and read it. So I ask, as we think about being, not being faint in our souls and, our, and in our spirits, but being filled, I want to ask, have you been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Have you been saved by Him? Have you given your life to Him? Have you been immersed into the water in the name of Christ, believing in Him so that you can let an old man die and be raised up to a new life that is filled full, blessings overflowing, sins washed away. Have you been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? If yes, then give thanks and say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. 
I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. He has lifted me up. Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And if not, if you haven't been redeemed by the blood, then why continue to wander in the wilderness while your soul faints? Why? Why spend another night on bed wondering what life is really all about? Experience what it is about. It's about serving Christ Jesus, having Him as your Lord and your Savior. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. Don't faint. Be filled. If you need to respond to the gospel call, I encourage you to Get a hold of me at the closure of this worship. Get a hold of me later today. Call anytime, but seek him and be right with him. And now we're going to turn to the great deed, the wonder that has been done for us in Jesus Christ as we partake of this Lord's table today.